voice hearing voice 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 hearing voice 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 this is hearing voices conversations with the voices that bring the excitement of college sports alive now here's your host the voice of your fighting tigers chris blair Welcome back, everybody. Another edition of Hearing Voices. And boy, do we have a dandy coming up this weekend as uh, LSU and Alabama get together once again, 87th meeting. And this one will take place uh, on a Saturday night in Death Valley with kickoff just after 6 o'clock Central Time. Again, on this show, we like to talk a little football, but we also like to talk a little bit about the broadcasting industry as a whole and uh, because I'm a fan. Uh, of broadcasters, and there is uh, our guest this week I'm a big fan of and uh, happen to be a, a good friend of, and uh, I want to welcome to the show. You know him. He's been associated with Alabama radio for over two decades with Alabama basketball and Alabama baseball. He's certainly been a fixture on their football broadcast, and this year, which we'll talk about, he is filling in for the great Eli Gold. He is uh, calling the action play-by-play for Alabama football and has done so for eight games this season, and he will be on the call this coming Saturday uh, here in Baton Rouge. Please welcome to the show uh, Chris Stewart. Chris, it is great to have you join us. Uh, it's it's always great to see you, great to talk with you, and uh, we got a pretty big game coming up, and I don't know, maybe maybe you saw the future, but there I don't think there were many people who thought um, here in the first Saturday in November that LSU and Alabama were going to battle for the top of the SEC West, but uh, again, good yeah. to see you. You too, buddy. Appreciate the invitation. Always great to have a chance to share a microphone with you. And uh, look, I, you know, the projections may not have been for for what this game is going to be Saturday. But uh, when anybody would say something to me early in the year that they didn't think LSU would be a factor, I say, well, I'll believe it when I see it because I just have seen way too much of LSU, especially over the last two decades, to think that there'll be anything other than what they are Saturday which is a, a contender uh, for the, the West, which makes you a contender, obviously, for the SEC title. And what a shock. LSU's a top-10 team when Alabama comes in as a top-10 team as well. Uh, there's there's nothing uh, surprising about that, really, to me, uh, not given the history of LSU and not given the history of Brian Kelly. Yeah, I mean, I think back, uh, you know, the last time this type of game had this kind of – Heavyweight feel to it, obviously, was in 2019 over in Tuscaloosa. And I know that, you know, it may be self-serving to say, well, it's good to see that LSU's back after a a down two years that this game means something and has so many implications. But frankly, I I think it's just good for the SEC, and I think it's good for Alabama and for LSU for this game uh, to have this type of uh, focus on it. I know Coach Kelly talked about it on Monday in his presser. And Coach Saban, although he only went about nine-plus minutes, he kind of mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, when these two teams yeah. get together, it's great when there's a lot on the line. You know, uh, Chris, you're well aware of what historically Alabama-Tennessee has meant for 100 years and what that rivalry has been like. And and as Alabama won 15 straight in that series against uh, the Big Orange, there were those that said, you know, I'm not so sure that LSU – hadn't far exceeded Tennessee in terms of being the biggest rival for Alabama. Now, you may be a little hard-pressed to find as many of those people in the last two weeks making that statement since uh, <laughs> Tennessee has, has gotten back in the win column to end that 
incredible run, but there's no debating that the winner of this game between the Tide and the Tigers has been in a great position to not only win the West, but to win the SEC and national crowns as well. And and I saw the number, and, and we'll use it on the broadcast Saturday. You probably have it committed by heart now, but, you know, it's – it's been Alabama or LSU, LSU or Bama when it comes to this division, this league, and the national championship picture. And um, I just think it's amazing and incredible once again from the Alabama perspective. We're sitting at 15 consecutive years now since Nick Saban's second year in Tuscaloosa. It's uh, 15 consecutive years that Alabama has gone into the month of November and gone into this game with a mathematical shot at a national championship once again. Uh, incredible run. It's so tough to get to November and still be in the mix based on this, what the setup is. Granted, Alabama's starting point is normally higher than most, but to go through and beat the teams that Alabama has to beat before they get to November is anybody in the league does. I don't care who you're playing. Um, it speaks volumes about the the sustainability of the program. And I'm not surprised on LSU side that while there may have been a dip here or there, that those dips have been very few and very uh, short lived before they're back and, and right there in the, the picture for the national championship again. Well put Chris Stewart, our guest this week on hearing voices and, and I may be in the minority here, but, uh, and I don't know how many fans would agree with me, but I think that, you know, Tennessee being where Tennessee is now is good for the SEC. It's good for the SEC East. It's it's good, believe it or not, for Georgia. It's good for Kentucky to be better. Um, you know, obviously Florida trying to get back there. I mean, it's it's better. And I think for the West, I've always felt this way, that when you've got really good teams, it makes for a great race. It makes for a great season. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think we're getting there. A little more parity, I would say, on both sides. Uh, in both divisions. And who knows what's going to happen here when Texas and Oklahoma join. We'll see what the divisions look like or if there's divisions or if sure. there's pods. And we'll worry about that when it gets here. I want to go back a little bit, uh, Chris, as I mentioned, uh, longtime fixture on the radio with Alabama. Um, but this summer, uh, we all learned, you probably learned well before all of us, that uh, Eli Gold, one of the standard bearers in our business, certainly uh, in sports announcing, certainly in college announcing, and by far in the SEC, uh, was going to be unable to go due to health reasons, was trying to get healthy, and uh, you were called upon, no question, no surprise, uh, to fill in. And I know you always, and I've seen a bunch of interviews, I've read a bunch of articles, and I did this summer, uh, this is a temporary thing, as you emphasized each and every time. But you get the opportunity to do this, which I know is a dream of yours, as it would be for probably many uh, in the state of Alabama. But you're also kind of returning a favor because it wasn't too long ago that you had a health scare of yeah. your own that stunned all of us. And, uh, again, you had guys uh, that, that are on your team, on the broadcast team, work at Alabama uh, in the Crimson Tide Network, kind of fill in. So it, it almost seems apropos that you were at this position, at this place, at this time, and it was all perfectly rolled up. And I know it's something you didn't want to do or have happen. Right. Uh, but again, it kind of brings it all full circle. Well, you're absolutely right. And, and to address part of it, uh, look, I, I grew up in this state, been an Alabama fan my whole life. Um, 
as a little boy wanted to be a sportscaster. Used to pretend, I was telling this story last night in an uh, alumni event. When I was five years old, I used to pretend that I was Coward Hosell. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. I thought. I want to yeah, hear. I want to hear that impersonation. Howard, yeah, I'm not going to do the impersonation, <laughs> but I, I wanted to be Coward Hosell because that's what I thought Howard Cosell's name was. Uh, that's how young I was at that time. But wanting to be a sportscaster, wanted to be a play-by-play announcer, um, and then getting the opportunity to do that at Alabama after. Uh, I got to know John Forney, who was legendary voice of the Crimson Tide from my childhood and before. Um, Paul Kennedy, who I have great respect for and, and think was a tremendous uh, broadcaster, still is. And then Eli, whose whose record and reputation speaks for itself and who I – he doesn't like it when I tell this, but who I listened to since I was a child as well. Um <laughs> Those are to to be next, whatever the, the amount of time happens to be. And there was a gentleman before John Forney named Maury Farrell, who actually broadcast games. Um, he and John were partners, but Maury did the play-by-play, and John did the color in the, uh, the 50s through the very early 60s. But going back to 1953, I believe it was, when the network itself was founded, you know, Chris, I'm only the fifth guy that's ever done play-by-play for Alabama football. And uh, whether it was one game, as was the case two years ago during COVID when Eli was sick and had an incredible run of 409 consecutive games to uh, come to a close because of that and had to miss. And I was, you know, given the opportunity to fill in for one game uh, or this season as I filled in for him as he's he's getting better. Um, it is an unbelievable blessing. At the same time, the biggest blessing is that I'm well enough to do that because three years ago today, I was in the midst of a 91-day consecutive hospital stay of my own where, as you know, I, I had bypass surgery. Well, it was four and a half years ago that I had a stroke in my sleep. It was a miracle that I survived that, but 16 months later, it it was found that I needed to have bypass surgery. It was successful, but I developed an infection somewhere along the way that put me back in for 91 consecutive days and was as sick as I could possibly be, according to doctors, without actually dying. And right, my, my wife called in my closest friends and said, you need to come up here and tell him goodbye. He's not going to make it. So that's how that's how bad it was. But while I was out, um, and missed the entire 2019 football season uh, and the first two months of basketball as well. Uh, Roger Hoover, Eli, Jim Dunaway were all guys, and there may have been others, and I apologize if I'm leaving them out, but those are three guys that I know filled in for me in different roles while I was gone. Uh, I hate the fact that it's for the reason that I'm having to do the play-by-play, and it has tempered my enjoyment of doing it because of the circumstances under which I'm doing the play-by-play for football. But I am so grateful that God spared my life and has allowed me to have the opportunity to return a favor, if you will, for Eli in this in this time to uh, to hold his spot for him. And as I've been introduced 
with good intentions by others, but introduced as something, anything other than filling in for or um, any other phrasing other than temporary, I correct them very quickly. I said, look, I'm just a temp. You know, that's I'm just the temp service right now. Uh, it's Eli's job and he will have it as soon as he's able to get himself back in the booth. And we all hope it's going to be before the season's over with. Chris, again, I want to tell you, it's, it's you know, we, we all feel the same way. The same thing you talk about for Eli, wanting him to get back. We were all rooting for you, and we're so glad uh, that you're back, you're healthy, and uh, doing what you love. I, I wanted to ask him, before we move on, talk about the matchup. I certainly wanted to ask you, you know, how Eli is doing, because, uh, uh, again, he's he's a fixture in our league. He's he's uh, yeah. highly respected, well thought of, and everybody that, that works in the SEC on the radio side and TV side, for that matter, um, sure. uh, think the world of Eli. How's he doing? He's, he's doing much better. Uh, he's um, he's back home. It is his uh, rehabilitation. He's, he's frankly, he's had problems with his legs and walking. And beyond that, I'm, I'm you know, leave it at that because it's his place to that winter if he wants to but um and he's just had had issues there that have um that he's been dealing with for a while and thankfully has improved and is is trying to set uh, a return date there's not one yet definitively but he has a goal and and the fact that he's you know uh no longer hospitalized and neat or you know in a rehabilitation facility he is back home and and making the next steps um, in order to be able to take his next steps. So uh, that's a very, very good sign and very grateful that, that he's recovered to that point where this can be a conversation. Absolutely. We certainly wish him back uh, as soon as possible. Um, before we talk about the matchup, though, Chris Stewart, our guest this week on Hearing Voices, I, I just wanted to reiterate, and I've had this story on with, with numerous uh, gentlemen that have been on this show talking about their careers. And while everybody knows who Chris Stewart is in Alabama and those who follow the SEC, uh, it wasn't like as though, Chris, you just, again, as you said, grew up wanting to be a sportscaster. It wasn't as if you just showed up on campus in Tuscaloosa and said, hey, guys, I'm ready now. I'm of a certain age. I'm ready to, to do all the things that, uh, that you have gone on to do at Alabama. What I mean by that is uh, you, you've, you've, you've kind of risen through the ranks, as many of us have, doing different levels of play-by-play, whether it yeah. be high school, NAIA, Division II, uh, FCS or FBS power five, um, you've had that same route. And, and I think it's important sure. when people listen to this show that, that, you know, we know the people that we listen to, uh, on a, on a weekly basis, on a regular basis, but there was, uh, some, some dues paid before they had that yeah. opportunity. You're no different. And, you know, Chris, it, it's kind of interesting and I hadn't really thought about it from this perspective, but I guess it has gone as you described uh, the way of many others through the different levels that you laid out perfectly. The one caveat that's different from so many and what is such a blessing for me is that I have done all of those things you talked about and been able to make those moves incrementally up the, the ladder, so to speak, if you want to use that term for, for where things have gone. But I've done so without ever having to live more than 45 minutes from where I was born. That's the incredible thing. As you well know, and you're a prime example of this, you normally have to uproot your family. 
and and move from from one spot to the other. And for a lot of people, especially if you do that early in your career, that's a cool thing. You get to broaden your horizon, so to speak, and and make friends in, in bigger geographical areas. Um, you know that stretch much further. But for me, a guy who grew up in Fairfield, just west of Birmingham, you know, bordering Birmingham, but just west of it. Um, going to games at Legion Field as a kid, not only um, Alabama games with my dad in charge of ushers in the north end zone from the time I was born until, uh, I guess, late teenage years. Um, and not only, you know, Alabama games, but all of the pro teams that came through, Birmingham Americans, Vulcans, uh, Stallions, Birmingham Fire, all of those incarnations of, of pro football teams we had. To do that as a kid and then, you know, get a great opportunity as an undergrad at the University of Montevallo. Um, as you said, an NAIA school at the time, now Division II program, but we had an incredible mass comm department where – I don't say this in a negative connotation, but nobody ever told me how to do play-by-play. I'm not sure they gave me any instruction whatsoever the first time as a freshman. I sat down and put the headset on, but I was giving, given tons of opportunities to learn it for myself and figure it out. Because as you know, you can get some direction, but you're either a play-by-play guy or you're not. And to become one takes time. But even with instruction and time, either you got it or not. Now, again, we're not brain surgeons. We're not splitting the atom or anything. But there is a unique skill set involved that, for whatever reason, we've been blessed and, and fortunate to have it. And, and there are a ton of guys that never get a chance to do it at the level you and I are that are every bit as good or better. We were just very fortunate to catch opportunities. So from an undergrad at Montevallo and working – out of college in various jobs, local cable access, doing high school football play-by-play. That same local access channel grew to become a statewide cable channel that wound up getting the rights to do Alabama-Auburn UAB games on a tape delay basis and doing games at all three campuses and then uh, becoming part of the Alabama team exclusively Um from a a replay broadcast standpoint and then added to the radio crew with baseball 23, 24 years ago. Uh, And very shortly after that, becoming the play-by-play guy in the midst doing Birmingham Southern and uh, when they were in NAIA power and in men's basketball and baseball and, and just an opportunity to be heard, get exposure uh, to the right people. And the next thing you know, you're, looking up and you're not the the young broadcaster anymore you're 52 and you're you're getting ready to go to tiger stadium and do alabama lsu in a top 10 matchup and you go you know what life's pretty good sometimes it's pretty good and mine's very very blessed if i ever learn how to read chris i'm going to write a book (laughs) i gotta learn how to read one first but if i do that i'm going to write one and i don't know exactly what the title is going to be but it's going to have something to do with dominoes okay when I was a little boy, my grandfather uh, would love to play dominoes. And we'd play checkers all the time, but I couldn't figure out dominoes. But when I was real little, I loved to go there. And 
they'd let me play with the dominoes and stack them. You know how you'd stack them and then knock one down and it falls into another, which falls into another and all of that. And all of these things, all these different opportunities that I've had in my life and my career, I look at as dominoes. And one falls has fallen into another and into the next. And if one of those dominoes miss or they're out of alignment, then it's probably not going to fall into the pattern that you may have designed. Uh, and I've been so fortunate that that my dominoes haven't always fallen exactly in the alignment that I thought they would, but they've all led to something else incredible in my life. And I'm, I don't use the term flippantly, but I do use it often. I'm an incredibly blessed man. No doubt about it. We certainly all are. And uh, here's an idea. When you do figure out how to read and you start working on the book, yes. Crimson Dominoes. I can see the cover of the book right now. Crimson it's Dominoes. It. It's, we'll have to give you a shout out in the forward. Uh, <laughs> for that that's pretty good yeah i'll take uh i'll take uh i'll take whatever you'll give me he is a athletic hall of fame member at his alma mater montevallo as he mentioned a few moments ago and he is part of the alabama uh, crimson tide network they will be here saturday as lsu and alabama get together once again all right let's talk football real quick in our remaining moments yeah uh chris you know one of the things very early on, I think uh, if I had to guess, it was basically following the Alabama-Texas game where the Crimson Tide had to battle and, and eventually were able to get out of Austin with the victory. It was one of the one of the best games as far as watching uh, of the early season. But immediately there started to be this theme that, well, this isn't the elite Alabama team. Now, that, it's hard for me to imagine people can make that assumption uh, that early in the season. Um, but it's kind of carried on as each week has gone by. I think it got louder after the thrilling game with Tennessee that came down to a kick, one missed, one made, uh, the difference in that ball game. Um, but you've seen this team. You've been around them preseason. You've watched them every week. You call the action. Is this 2022 team better or worse than the 2021 team that, that made the college football playoff a year ago? You know, at this point, probably not. And I think it's really important that you underline the, the, the words at this point. Um, because that team at times, and I haven't looked back, frankly, but just going off memory, I think they were more dominant, more consistent than, than what we have seen from this team so far. But here's, here's what I think all of that comes down to, Chris, is um, – other teams around the country right now, the top teams, are compared to Alabama. And that's part of why Alabama is where they are in the college football playoff rankings down at number six. The other piece of that is that Alabama, I believe, is judged against Alabama of this past 15-year stretch or other versions of the past 15 years. And that's pretty tough. Just as every LSU team is going to be compared from this point forward to that Joe Burrow squad uh, that was so phenomenal, Alabama's got multiple options you could go with, most recently being obviously 2020, that in a COVID season was perfect and so dominant in doing so, playing an all-SEC schedule. So uh, I think that's where some of the negativity 
comes from. Now, look, you'd be foolish to say that, you know, Alabama's been just fine, given the fact they commit 17 penalties and do what they do in losing to Tennessee and Knoxville. Um, to be on the verge of potentially losing at Texas, a play away from losing to Texas A&M and went into the fourth quarter in Fayetteville in an absolute dogfight. And they may have won that one going away, but that's a one-possession game. Arkansas with the ball as you as you get to the end of that third quarter. So that is uh, – there's no denying chinks in the armor that are – that are evident for this particular team. But at the same time, I still contend that despite 17 turnovers, excuse me, 17 uh, penalties, the turnovers, um, all the things that went wrong against Tennessee, if Will Reichard makes his 50-yarder with 15 seconds to go and Tennessee doesn't make theirs to force overtime, a blocked, a partially blocked kick that somehow made it through from 40 yards out. They're not storming the field. It's 16 in a row against the Vols, and Alabama's sitting at number one in the country with the rankings coming out, or at number two. So um, I just I think the way the schedule sets up, if Alabama loses, they're out of the mix. Any of their remaining ball games, I think that's going to, to happen. Uh but if they find a way to win, and it's a huge if because of what they're going to face Saturday first and foremost, but if they can beat number 10 um, LSU, a top 10 ranked Ole Miss, um, a rival in Auburn, and then get to an SEC championship game, which if they did those three things would happen, that family would be back in Atlanta, and you find a way to beat either Georgia or Tennessee, whoever it is, regardless of where Alabama sits today at number six, they will be among the top four. That's that's a given. Uh, and they will have a chance to take care of their own business. But they've got a lot of work to do before they ever get to that point. I think you summed it up nicely. I, I, when people ask me about Alabama from what I've seen, I say, well, there are elite Alabama teams, and then there's Alabama, which is elite among all of college football and have been, as you pointed out, uh, for closing in on two decades, um, and and that's the difference because they are compared to the elite Alabama teams that uh, just dominated week in and week out. Uh, I think that you point out, and that was what you know I looked at. I looked at the stats. I looked at and compared what they did did a year ago: passing efficiency, yards per catch, uh, yards per carry, which uh, has been impressive. We'll talk about the running game. Uh, quickly in a moment but it was the penalties which I think they're near the bottom uh, and and the turnovers at uh, negative three which really jumped off the page to me uh, in turnover margin but I I keep reminding people they still have the reigning Heisman Trophy winner as their quarterback and it brings me to Bryce Young Um, there haven't been a lot of teams that have stopped him in fact there's nobody that has stopped him when he's been on the field but to hold him in control if you've seen it happen, how does that happen? How would LSU do that? Because of his dual threat and the ability to just keep a play going and eventually hit the home run. How, how do you slow him down if you're a defense? It's probably the Arkansas method, which is hit him cleanly, legally, by the way, but, but hit him, he falls, and he's injured, and he can't finish the game. 
that's the I think that's the best uh, thing. It, unfortunately, uh, well, let me back up. There are so many guys that are so good throwing from the pocket, and Bryce Young is very good throwing from the pocket. Uh, you've got to find a way to flush those type guys out of the pocket. The problem for opposing teams is he has an incredible ability to keep the eyes up the field, to stay poised, to buy himself more time than most are able to, to buy themselves and still make a play throwing the football. If you force him to run, he's about as dangerous as anybody in that regard as well. Um, extremely talented. Here's the difference in, in now and this time last year. Um, he's got a number of very good, very capable receivers available to him. Uh, they haven't been great, but I still think they're very dangerous. And they have shown, each shown, the ability to make some plays that that make Alabama more than dangerous enough in the passing game to to win and put up big points. The difference is you don't have John Mechie and Jamison Williams, who are as fast and NFL guys uh, available. You know, Alabama manhandled Georgia in the SEC championship game last year. Georgia could not keep up with Alabama with those two guys healthy. Uh, John Mechie gets hurt either late first half, early second half, and Bama's down to just Jamison Williams and still finished in a big way and won that game convincingly and was the obvious number one going into the playoff. They led Georgia when Jamison Williams got hurt, and now you're down to a receiving core that wasn't as deep, guys that Nick Saban said weren't ready, didn't do the work uh, throughout the year to get themselves ready for that moment the way they needed to, and Alabama couldn't overcome the loss of another guy. Uh, while they don't have the ability, maybe on the deep ball the way they did a year ago, I don't think they're as reliant on that as they were a year ago. In many ways, they may be tougher to defend. I'm not saying they're better. I just think there are more options that make them a little bit, and that includes the running game. You know, Brian Robinson was about the only healthy option in the backfield by season's end. Jace McClellan, who is a great option in the backfield now, got hurt early, and it took away a big threat. But you have him along with Jameer Gibbs, one of those uh, transfers from Georgia Tech, who's been great as a receiver and a runner. Um, there are there are some definite aspects of this offense besides Bryce Young that cause you concern if you're an opposing defense. No doubt about it. Jameer Gibb, the transfer, as Chris mentioned, averaging just under seven yards per carry. McClellan, the aforementioned, just under six yards per carry. And they've had some just monumental chunk plays, like 70-plus yeah. yard plays uh, that come on the ground. Um, defensively, that's the other thing you'll hear. Well, defensively, this isn't as stout an Alabama defense. They're giving up points. Um, obviously, they didn't against Mississippi State for nearly 60 game minutes. Um, but real quick, Chris, defensively, not not necessarily comparing them to, to last year or even years past, but w what are their strengths and where are their ways to, to find success, uh, if possible, against Alabama? 
the strength is the personnel because you start with with Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and some others that are along that front. And even though in the case of uh, Turner and Anderson listed as linebackers, they will walk them up to the edge quite often and, and basically um, be an extra down lineman or wherever they play them. They're, they're factors. They're difference makers. They've got to be consistent in the rush. When I say they, I don't necessarily mean those guys, but the 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 front six, front seven, front eight, depending on what they're in, has to be more consistent in applying pressure on the quarterback and affecting what he does. Uh, at the same time, the back end has to be more consistent. And one thing that's that helped, or I think is going to help, and LSU fans won't be happy to hear this, but it's it's getting Eli Ricks uh, playing uh, at the level he did last week. It was the first time we really saw him play uh, extended snaps. He got the start against Mississippi State. They targeted him quite often, and they were not successful. He was very, very good. And if he plays at the level that we, on both sides, know that he's capable of, uh, you have him on one corner with Kool-Aid McKinstry on the other. This becomes a much tougher Alabama defense to try to move the football against in a in a passing game. But I think consistency uh, with that group on the defensive side is is a bigger uh, area of concern, maybe more so than the offense. And I say concern just because they've got to show they can do it. They were really good last week. Uh, they were not as good the week before against Tennessee. Granted, much more explosive Tennessee team than Mississippi State. But you've got an LSU squad that I think think would be more comparable, in my opinion, from what I've seen, to the Vols than the Bulldogs. And, and that can be a problem if you don't take care of it. Well, it certainly will be, uh, I think, a matchup that, as I said to open the show, uh, Chris, nobody saw coming. Uh, six months ago. I know LSU fans are excited, Alabama fans. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they're excited about Alabama coming over here, but uh, uh, it's it should make for a great atmosphere. We just got to keep the rain and the storms away, which as of right now, checking the, the latest models, it looks like maybe we'll get wet uh, early morning and into the afternoon. So maybe it's a blessing uh, for all of us that Georgia and Tennessee are getting together and they're playing in the early afternoon and we get to play in the evening and hopefully uh, we'll be ready to go when boot meets ball uh, just after six o'clock central time looking forward to basketball uh, it is here we'll get started next week Chris and um, I know that uh, you and I share a mutual friend in yeah. uh, of course coach John Brady the legend uh, the SEC Absolutely. legend as I like to call him um, so we're looking forward to running into you guys on the basketball, and it should be, I think, an interesting uh, year for SEC basketball as well. No, I agree with you. It's uh, really talented. I know it's kind of a transition time for LSU, but that can be a dangerous time as well. And with the transfer portal, you can you can fix some things pretty quick. And you got to Google over there, and uh, and you know it's a pretty good resource for your your head coach to be able to lean on from a color guy standpoint as well that uh, has a pretty good understanding of what it takes to win and get to a final four uh there at lsu so i'm always glad to see you and to see uh coach and and uh, hope we can break bread this time we haven't done that in a, in a in a while we need to be able to do that at some point here soon now we'll get our social director john brady on it and make sure when we are in tuscaloosa we can all get together and you're right coach mcmahon and even coach will wade they, they, and we always had a great time visiting but when they wanted to talk basketball they always seemed to walk right by me and uh head john that. brady's way I, I, go figure yeah uh, 
I understand. Well, Chris, completely. I deal with the same thing. <laughs> Chris, uh, great job on the call all season. You had some big moments. Hopefully, not a ton of them coming up this Saturday, but we do wish you uh, uh, and the team a safe travel coming over. And we'll see you uh, before kickoff on Saturday night uh, at Tiger Stadium. So, uh, thanks for joining us again. And uh, and uh, again, all the best. Uh, you certainly deserve it. Man, I appreciate you and, and all the kind words. And I'll, I'll say to you what I always say to my friends in our business when our teams are about to play, uh, as you've, you've wished me safe travels. But if you're coming here, be safe travels and have a great show. I can't tell you good luck, but I can tell you safe travels and have a good show and mean that sincerely. How about that? <laughs> that sounds good. Chris Stewart, our guest this week on Hearing Voices, want to thank him for joining us. Uh, we thank you for stopping by, as we always do. And uh, don't forget, we're going to be at Tiger Stadium. It's going to be electric, and it's going to be Alabama and LSU once again. Harrison Valentine on the ones and twos, as always, fantastic job. Be back here next week. Hope you'll join us. This is Chris Blair, still hearing voices.